we'll be looking for opportunities where we can help our customers um, understand the business problems that they've got to solve and then start bringing to bear some of the investments that we've made in pockets of technology. So whether that was our Internet of Things business, it was our investment around data and AI, um, investments in digital identity, and actually the bringing together or convergence of all of those technologies. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host Paul Spain and today I have the privilege of two guests from Spark New Zealand. We have Renee Mataparai. How are you Renee? Good to I'm see you again. Great Paul, thanks for having me again. Yeah, and uh, for the first time Michelle Wong, thank yes. you for coming on the New Zealand Tech Podcast yeah, today. thank you for inviting me Paul. A big thank you to all our show partners which includes Spark NZ, so thank you Spark. Uh, also uh, two Degrees, One NZ, HP and Gorilla Technology. Renee, maybe we can start with you, just a little little intro, where you fit into this big wide world of, of tech and, and, and at Spark. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my role at Spark, I look after the introduction of new technology to Spark and its networks. Uh, so that includes things like the rollout of 5G across our networks. Um, it also includes how we bring those new technologies to life for customers, whether it's through our Internet of Things business um, or some of the more future-looking technologies like slicing and edge compute, how we bring those to life for our customers. Always sounds exciting, the things <laughs> that, that you get up to, Renee. Uh, and Michelle? Yeah, so um, I look after the IoT or Internet of Things uh, team at Spark. Um, we are a team that's focused on growing IoT adoption across Aotearoa, and we do that by providing um, connectivity services, but also a whole range of um, IoT solutions as well. Um, it means we get to work with quite a lot of different customers and partners across all sorts of different industries. So uh, that keeps things quite interesting, I think, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you both for, for joining the show today. Um, we'll start with sort of delving into a little bit of the, the current uh, news that's going on in the tech world, and then we'll have time to um, delve deeper into what, what's happening um, at Spark from that, that IoT or Internet of Things um, perspective, and also the broader um, three-year strategy that's, that's recently been announced by um, Spark New Zealand. Um, so to, to start with, wanted to delve into what we've heard from the government with the budget. Mm. Uh, you know, they they come around and make make their announcements, and uh, of course, I don't think it's unique to those involved in in the you know broader technology world. But mm. uh, we're, we're generally never satisfied with yeah. whatever <laughs> government yep. does. So yeah. you know, I'll just put that on the table, and it won't matter whoever the government is. Next time a budget comes around, it's it'll it'll be uh, it'll be the same. Mm. Um, but look, I think uh, you know it's encouraging to have this uh, announcement around the twenty percent uh, rebate uh, for games development studios. That's mm. that's certainly something yeah. for for New Zealand companies to um, you know not lose not lose too much to Australia where they're, they're so heavily mm. uh, incentivizing um, you know game development studios mm. to to set up there if they haven't already or to you know, have as many people as possible in Australia 
yeah. rather than New Zealand mm. or other markets. I think you know it's it's definitely a positive. The mm, you know definitely. the question is is it is it is it enough? And mm. um, you know I guess that's that's the big that's the big question. I think I mean it's great to see the government supporting an industry like the gaming industry, mm. and I think it's really important we keep some of these businesses and industries in New Zealand, and we do whatever we can to help keep talent on shore, which I know is top of mind for lots of people. So it's a great it's a great move um, in the right direction, but it'll be great to see to see more. Yeah, and there's no denying that gaming as an industry is rapidly growing, right? Like, yeah. you know, I spend quite a lot of time at home negotiating with my 10-year-old, um, <laughs> you know, how much time he should be spending on Xbox and, you know, same thing with his friends and parents. So, you know, these are the people that are going to be earning their own money and paying bills, you know, in 10 years. So, you know, there's no sort of denying that, you know, that industry is going to keep growing. So, yeah, the question is how do we best leverage that and how do we keep some of this talent, um, you know, in our country? Mm. Yeah, And it's a mix of talent, isn't it? It's not all about the technological talent. It's that, um, you know, pairing of, of, you know, innovative thinking and, and t- you know, t- technological know-how mm. uh, and the, the creative uh, mm. that yeah. is as enabled New Zealand to be, uh, you know, such an important part of, of the filmmaking, mm. you know, sector. And, you know, you really, in many ways, you're, you've got, uh, you know, very, very similar uh, t- types of, of talent that are required in, in that space. Although, you know, we, we're told that, um, yeah, the, the, the amount of revenue from gaming is, is so much bigger uh, mm. Than, mm. than film uh, and TV, which is really interesting. Yeah, huge yeah. potential. Yeah. I think the really um, the interesting thing I found in the government's announcement was around their focus on reskilling and in particular around the diversity mm. of workforce. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's one of the big focuses for us at Spark, but it doesn't feel like the kind of thing you can solve as a company by yourself. Yeah. It's something mm. we need to do system-wide. Um, yep. So that was, I thought, a really cool feature of what they put out. Yeah, so they're talking about a sort of an apprenticeship sort of, mm. you know, type model yeah. uh, where, you know, employers are, um, yeah, I guess, sort of part-funded to, uh, you know, to bring you yeah. know, new people into the sector, right? Paid internship type model yeah. for yeah. particular technical skill sets. Mm. Yeah, and I think... Having a stronger pipeline for talent is, you know, got to be good for the future of our tech um, workforce, mm. right? You know, like it's, a lot of it starts there. Yeah, actually encouraging the next generation to get interested in going into tech careers, I think, is one of the big things we all need to yeah. work out how we can do, make it as exciting as being a social media influencer. <laughs> <laughs> And YouTubers and these yep, sorts of things, exactly. right? So yep. yeah, and that that's that's certainly um, part of the challenge. And I've you know been noticing recently. I'm hearing more and more, you know, f- particularly from parents that are mm. wanting to, uh, you know, discuss what direction mm. you know should we nudge our child? Should they be going off to university? Mm. Should they be going to a you know a specialist in- institution that's mm. you know focused in, in a particular um, area? Uh, should they just be getting into the into the workforce mm. and and getting started? Mm. And yeah, it's uh, it's actually reasonably challenging to to work through that. And mm, I think yeah. we we do need uh, more more options. Um, you know, when it comes to enabling employers to to bring people and yeah, that don't necessarily have all the the runs on the board. And it might be that it's, it's folks that are, you know, reskilling, they've been in another area, 
but actually they're you know they're very keen to move into and in, into one area yeah. of, of of tech or another yeah. cyber security or you yeah. know what have you. So um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's that's really encouraging, and mm. it'll be interesting to see how it um, yeah how it actually you know, plays out ultimately. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, now another thing on the the local uh, front that that's happening, and we we heard about this um, some some time ago, is um, New Zealand banking. I guess not necessarily the banking system. I guess well, in a way, it is. In a way, it isn't. But it, we've had this limitation for uh, <laughs> I don't know ever since I can yeah. I can remember that you know that we've been digital at least. Um, and you know, prior to that, I guess we, you know, the limitations were even more. Mm. Where when you do a transfer from one bank account to another, that was always limited to a, you know, Monday Monday to Friday yeah. Yeah. Uh, type thing in terms of seeing uh, or the recipient seeing the funds that you had uh, mm. you had you had transferred to them or, or, or paid to them. Um, whereas, yeah, with this change that uh, that comes into play uh, this week these this weekend, when you do those mm. uh, transfers for for the large majority of banks, uh, they're going to happen seven days a week, including public holidays. yeah so, three hundred and sixty five um, days. yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it before we started Renee around. <laughs> why? Why we've been waiting? What's the, been the What's been the problem? The I mean, banks have is, caught up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I, I guess there's there's probably all sorts we could we could delve into, and it might be time to, um, you know, have another guest in from, um, you know, from the banking sector, yeah, uh, to get some insights into into what's happening in that in that world and that that side of things. Yeah. Um, so if we've got anyone listening, um, and we have had <laughs> listeners on from the banking. World in the past, um, yeah. but if we've got anyone listening that is in that in that sphere, and you you think you would like to contribute, then definitely get in touch. Otherwise, I'll I'll certainly be going out finding someone over the next little while to yeah. Uh, yeah. to to fit on that front. But I think it it, it is a good thing. Um, one thing I I did notice that Kiwi Bank don't seem mm. to be uh, don't seem to be playing ball. So they're saying that their payment processing times. Will remain the same after Friday. So I don't know whether that's because they've already been doing processing outside of business hours. But I think what I read suggested that they were they were business days only, and they're going to be right. sticking to sort of the Monday to Friday. So um, mm. public holidays and uh, and weekends will remain kind of off limits for uh, from from their perspective. So mm. yeah, um, I'm I'm. Sure, there's a bit more of a story uh, behind that one, so may- maybe I can I can find something else. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, I think overall, hey, why didn't it happen sooner? Well, it doesn't matter. It's happening now. So well, um, next we're, step in monetizing, moving with, moving with the times a little yeah. bit. Um, there is still a window there from uh, midnight to nine a.m. or mm. whatever it, whatever it is across the the different banks there where. Things won't necessarily move around. Although that said, I have seen payments come in at you know very strange hours mm. of the, the morning, where five thirty in the morning or something, where a, a transfer happens. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing those are maybe sort of pre-scheduled uh, automatic payment type mm, things yeah. that are that are kicking off, and maybe that's staying within. It's from one bank to the to the same bank for those just to happen instantly. And, uh, you know, a lot of us do our tasks in the weekend after work hours in terms of sorting out budget and, you know, admin stuff around making payments. So, you know, that's 
pretty useful. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I guess part of the, the picture here that we see impacting our our banks is if they don't move with the times, then, of course, others come in and, mm. and eat their lunch, right? Mm. So there, there's probably... I'm I'm picking here the motivator has been that there are there have been new players that have come in, mm. um, not just into the New Zealand market. They you know probably a, a fair bit of looking to mm. to what's been happening um, you know on a on a global basis. Mm. But we we've certainly have have looked at some of those um, you know newer um, players. Yeah. Who, whose intent is to a degree to disrupt the mm, yeah. uh, traditional um, banking sector, and so you know you can. When New you Zealand's can imagine got that some great of examples of those disruptors with things like sharesies, etc. Mm, um, mm. Cool to see some of those new business models coming through. Yeah, although I have noticed with the the, the likes of um, the uh, share trading. Uh, platforms it it does seem to take if you know if you do a deposit it's not super fast for the funds to sort of sh- mm. to, to show up yeah mm. um so yeah maybe they've got a, a little bit of work to do in their their technology systems or maybe mm. I don't know maybe it, it suits them to to delay maybe there's some sort of you know verifying the funds are really there before they go out mm. and uh, allow you to yeah. deposit your your funds um in, in different um, stocks, so yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly one aspect of it. But you know, we have seen that, um, yeah, some of these sort of new um, wallets, and I'm trying to remember the um, one of the ones that we featured um, on the show uh, a while back. Dosh, um, mm. yeah. So you know, part of theirs was you can move money around between individuals, and you. You know, you don't have those delays because it's it's you know between wallets, um, and we've also seen, um, I guess that that transfer of funds internationally, mm. it seems yeah. to have become a lot more competitive with mm. with New Zealand banks. So mm-hmm. therefore, the the temptation to use other providers isn't yeah. isn't as great, um, mm. or or at least it looks that way. Um, yeah. So maybe I I'm not sure how deeply I've you know, I've gone in and looked at that, but I know uh, when doing international transfers, there used to be a, I don't know what the fee was, maybe $15 or $25, you know, fee with yeah. the bank to do it. And I'm pretty sure with ones I've ones I've done um, more recently, those those have gone. Yeah. Uh, obviously, yeah, there are ways to make that up in terms of what the the exchange rate is that they that they mm, offer yeah um but it does seem as though the you know the banking sector isn't doing a completely asleep on on these things you know mm, there yeah, are there yeah. are moves afoot so that's good it's good and to I, see i guess you find that across many different industries right in terms of um players you know quite often digital native players really mm. upping the game and i think yep. that creates sort of new expectations as well from mm. obviously consumers and individuals, you know, your you know, your expectation just raised in terms of the kind of experience you expect. And I think that's happening across not just in banking industry, but, mm. you know, across most other industries. So, you know, I think it's a good thing for for everyone, you know, you know, we all have to up our game a little. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's yeah, that's the nature of the the environment we're in. Um, now one of the areas of um, of innovation we've talked about over a very long period uh, is drones and I saw 
details come through around uh, Amazon's uh, drone deliveries. Mm. And uh, The Verge published a, a, a story, I think maybe it was originally CNBC that had picked it up, mm. um, that they had learned that Amazon drones this year, um, they, I think they were targeting uh, 10,000 drone deliveries, but so far they've only they're only at about a hundred. Mm. Uh, yeah. so that's quite fascinating that yeah, they just they just haven't mm. really um, sort of solved whatever challenges there are to mm. to start scaling it because mm. you know there's a fairly big difference between a hundred and and ten thousand and look maybe that will come you know further down the yeah. track this year. Um, but that sounds like a very kind of manual type of delivery mm, if you're, yeah. you know, doing 100, 100 deliveries in, um, you know, well over 100 days sort of sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, whereas, Especially you know, Especially for once, an organisation the size of Amazon. That's true. Right? Yeah, that's true. Must be just the yeah. tiniest percentage of their deliveries. They account for such a big percentage of e-commerce in the US, yeah. right? It's it's kind of mind-blowing. Um and yeah, interestingly, there are others that are you know making making a bit more progress. Um, Walmart apparently have completed um, over six thousand deliveries mm. across seven um, states in the US. They're using a number of partners, drone up, uh, flight mm. tricks, uh, and and zip lines. So this is, this is really interesting. Um, one of their most common deliveries is their. Uh, rotisserie chickens. Yeah, I Intr- thought that was very interesting. So you're sitting at home wondering what to cook, and you can why jump not get in, a roast chicken? Fire up the Walmart <laughs> app and say, "Bring a roast chicken over," and uh, there's <laughs> some of your meal prep done for you. Um, Shout Uber Eats. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean that that sort of makes some sense for something like that if you've got a drone that can. That can you know carry a reasonable amount of weight. Mm. Um, it's, it sounds pretty pretty handy. I think it, I mean a lot of it comes down to the regulatory environment mm. around how space is treated and how where how and where the drones can fly, right? For how much it'll be able to scale. So I think it'll be an interesting space to watch. I can't imagine it taking off. Pardon the pun <laughs> too quickly, <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely an interesting area. Yeah, and look, I, yeah, I think um, it, you know it is fascinating just to watch these things that that seem to make a you know a reasonable amount of sense. Obviously, there's challenges mm. you know from a, a regulatory perspective, yeah. which are usually going to be tied up to safety, mm. yeah, really more than anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, hold on, these things have been under development for you know, a fairly long period of time. Yeah. Um, you know, surely either they give up and decide we can't do it. Uh, or they, they find a solution. But there's a level here of the, the autonomy piece, right, which mm. crosses over into autonomous vehicles as well. Yeah. And, you know, from the outside with, oh, you know, look, putting something up in the air must be so much easier than, you know, <laughs> driving on, on a road. But, you know, I guess, yeah, actually you, you've got another, you know, access and a way to deal with because the vehicle, mm. you know, the vehicle's going up and down Three and directions you, you don't want to be two, yeah. flying over an individual and then dropping something on their head and yeah. Uh, yeah. so on. So, um, yeah, I, I guess it's uh, it's another one of those hard problems, but I think, it, you know, will be yeah. it will be solved. How it's solved and how it, you know, how it, land, you know, ultimately lands 
whether we end up with lots of small buzzing drones flying around, which mm. probably we're mostly not super, you know, super keen on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other yeah. than when you're at the receiving end and you're like, yes, I'd like my delivery <laughs> and I'd dinner. like it right now. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so what the what the mixes of, of where drones end up getting, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, getting, getting that, you know, big adoption. Yeah. I mean, we're sort of looking at it in a broader category of remote operation vehicles. And so whether that's autonomous vehicles, whether it's drones, whether it's um, remote delivery bots on a campus, mm. um, actually those are one of the classes of things that we see being connected much more frequently in the future. And it'll, yeah, I believe that it'll come down to the platforms that they sit Mm. Um, sit on that that manage and control their actions over time. Mm. Yeah, we've um, we have seen probably just about everybody has seen an image of the uh, Domino's driverless. Um, well, probably the drones, but also the the driverless uh, vehicle and the do- uh, the robotic dog delivery. As well. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, so there's a few of these things. Um, now, for those that haven't caught it, I did an interview uh, last year. Um, with the Kiwi uh, co-founder of Neuro. Um, so, yeah, Neuro is a, a Silicon Valley, uh, you know, company that's it's heavily into the robotics. Mm. And those images that probably all of us have seen of the um, the, the vehicle that, that mm. drops off pizzas and, and other things, um, that is, as I th- as I think, a, a neuro um, vehicle. Ah, cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, so for those that are interested, uh, yeah, we had a, a chat, really good chat with um, Dave Ferguson, mm. uh, yeah, Kiwi up there in, in the valley. And, you know, they've done really, really well. I think, you know, over $2 billion mm. um, US dollars of um, uh, venture capital sort of, you know, funding mm. to date. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure... Um, you know they're they're continuing to make progress, and mm. one day in the future we will we will start seeing either these things <laughs> running around the streets delivering uh, pizza and groceries and and things when we're un, unable or unwilling to leave the house. We we'll um, never have to leave our house again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think there's some movies about that, and uh, I'm not sure how how well that plays out if we get to uh, that state. But anyway. Now, time to delve into what's happening in the in the big world of, of Spark. Where shall we start? I think maybe a little bit around the, the new three-year strategy, Renee. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, for anyone who hasn't heard, we recently announced our upcoming three-year strategy. So we're just coming to the end of the last three-year strategy. I think relevant for this podcast, we, there's a real focus for Spark in the coming three years around how some of these high-tech solutions and how the um, and actually the bringing together or convergence of all of those technologies to create solutions to problems is a big focus for us moving into the next three years. Underpinning that as well as we see uh, an evolution in technology as we move from our current 5G network, which is in a configuration called non-standalone, but technical, but it effectively uses some of the 4G network as its base, as we move into what's called 5G standalone, which now shifts to a 5G core or 5G brain, essentially, we start to unlock some of the future technologies that 5G always promised 
um, it would deliver. So things that I mentioned at the start of the podcast around network slicing, where you can create slices of the network that you can tune perfectly to a particular use case. So you could tune a slice that was perfectly suited to gaming, as an example. Um, you could tune a slice that was perfectly suited to public safety um, and high resilience and redundancy. Um, but you could also tune a slice that was uh, a private network for an organisational enterprise. Um, so using some of these new technologies, rather than coming at it from the technology first, we really want to flip that around and come from the customer back. Um, fo uh, focus and understand what customers need and what the problems are for New Zealand to drive productivity, sustainability, um, and then how can we help to bring these technologies to help solve problems. Yeah, one thing um, that a lot of people will have been um, aware of and curious about was um, Spark Sport. That's all kind of you know finished up. What what opportunity does that sort of create within Spark? Because there was a, you know when you when you invest in in something like Lightbox and then Spark Sport. Um, that takes up a lot of, you know, a lot of time yep. and a lot of headspace. Does that sort of free you up to sort of, you know, double down in, in some of these other areas? Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of things that were called out as we shift into the next three years. So one was, was certainly the headspace or um, investment that exiting the sport business opens up for the rest of the business, and particularly the focus that we've got around these new high-tech solutions and in, in growing our small to medium business. Um, but the other thing that we did last year was actually selling off some of our non-strategic infrastructure, so the tower deals that um, that were in the news last year. And what that did was it really identified that our cell sites or the, the poles that make up the cell sites weren't strategically important to Spark. And so we were able to sell those to an infrastructure provider who's best placed to make sure that they are managed and maintained in the best way. And that then gave a whole lot of proceeds which have been tagged as um, growth investment for Spark moving forward. So I think one of the really exciting things through this next three-year strategy is actually where you'll see us pointing that um, focus and money investment so that we can help build out new solutions for Aotearoa. Where, where, where are those? Where are the, the areas that are most important to focus on for Spark? I think oh, that's a very <laughs> broad question. <laughs> I think for us it is working closely with our business customers firstly. So we have a we have a big focus with these new technologies on how we can enable enterprises across New Zealand. Um, we will still have a heavy focus around making sure that we're best in class for mobile and broadband but actually see quite a lot of the value and the new technology development that will come through these technologies and sitting in that enterprise space. Um, and for us, rather than taking a or, or seeing a specific vertical as being a, a priority or focus area, for us it's about how do we help businesses to digitally transform? How do we help businesses to understand how they can become more productive? New Zealand's got a challenge around productivity, so what role can Spark play in helping businesses become more productive? Um, and also more sustainable. So the report that came out last year was looking at actually what impact can technology companies do in enabling other businesses to be more sustainable. It's not necessarily our own business that we can make big sustainability gains, but actually we can have a big impact on how all of New Zealand businesses can be more sustainable. Mm. So yeah, those are really the good. lenses for us. 
Yeah, because I think um, you know we we will often sort of look at 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 our kind of big winners in the tech sector, and we we might you know look at say a zero or a push pay or another firm that that's you know been really innovative and really successful mm. on the global stage. Mm. But when we when we step back and 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 look at the overall productivity mm. and our overall success, it seems like. We're a bit behind the eight mm, ball in, yeah. in in this country, even though we know we've got incredible talent, and you know we often you know innovate you know really well in in particular areas. Mm. And yeah, it's it's certainly something which yeah you know, I guess you know to a degree you know frustrates me that mm. like yeah why you know why can't we address this? And I guess it's um, it's something you know that that takes a. Um, you know, a lot of us to be able to focus mm. on and to look at well, how do we how do we change how we help yeah. New Zealand's organisations to improve? And I think you know some of it is is a mindset thing of mm. of actually understanding yep. that we've that we've got the problem and understanding hey you know technology uh, can can it. really take us yeah. forward if we leverage yeah. it appropriately, but. In part, I think because we have so many sort of smaller to medium businesses, mm. where you know business owners and business leaders have so many things that mm. they have to do, yeah, and they're not quite sure where to go. And then as you get up to um, you know bigger organisations, of course there are, there are also you know lots of competing yeah. uh, priorities and so on as well. Well, so right? we we find that it works best to actually get on the ground and talking to our customers. So um, Michelle can talk to it more, but we've got our Spark Innovation Studio, which is a collaboration space um, where we invite customers in to actually work on what are the problems that they're facing and then how can we help them build their business case essentially for investing in technology. Because we know that people don't have money just to throw after putting in the next big thing. Mm. It actually needs to show what the return on investment and how do we partner with our customers to help prove that return on investment? Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, the lab, you know, having the lab is, a, yeah, it's a really, really good idea to be able to bring, you know, bring people through. And yeah, the more you kind of uh, have that opportunity to see examples of what's possible, mm. um, the more it sort of, you know, yeah. helps us kind of get it as it were, right? Yeah, and I think, just you know, a lot of times it's a case of you don't know what you don't know for mm, a lot of mm. um, the businesses and communities that sort of we talk to. So I think we all have a role to play here, right, in terms of making sure that we share um, what's available, the learnings, you know, what's been successful, you know, more widely so that um, it's not just the enterprise customers but also the SMEs across the country, mm. you know, have that understanding and, and of what's actually available right now that could help them. Mm. Um, and, you know, that productivity challenge is, is quite a – complicated beast um, to tackle you know that is all a lot of it is around how do we enable um, businesses and and communities to you know do things smarter right you know that that is what drive that um, productive productivity uplift and you know there's definitely a massive role digital technology like IOT can play yeah and I think um one of the things you know I've I've Noticed, and I, I can't remember what the example was recently, but we we get so used to the sort of status quo, yeah. and things are changing all the time. Yeah, you know, mm. I'm sure if you 
would yeah. have delve into some stats around, you know, Spark's networks, whether it's IoT or, you know, across the board, like how the, you know, the capabilities, um, the usage and so on, you know, these things have just kept, you know, kept mm. growing mm. At, at somewhat, you know, an exponential type of type of rate. Um, but we don't always kind of just take on board how big, all these different changes are when we add them up together yep. in terms of what's now possible yep. with with IoT, what's now possible, um, you know, with, with the latest yeah. infrastructure, mm. what's now possible with artificial intelligence, and then you bring all these things together, yeah. and there's all sorts of new possibilities. But we might, you know, in a lot of cases haven't really changed dramatically mm. from what we were doing in, well, in an organisation, say, you know, X years, right. years ago, right? When yeah. a big part of it is making the technology accessible, so you might talk and inspire about a quite large technological change, but actually then it's about bringing it back to what's the one thing that you could put in place now that'll show returns. So, yeah. yep. you know, it's all taking those small steps to give you a sense of scale in the Spark IoT business. We're very proud that we surpassed the 1 million connection milestone at the end of last year. Um, last calendar year, so that was the connections up 39% um, and revenues were up 21% year on year as well. So we're seeing a huge amount of growth, um, yeah, definitely well exceeding the million connected things out there now wow. um, yeah. and it's growing fast. And so break that down for, for listeners as in terms of, you know, what does that mean? Are these, um, you know, what sort of things are connected and how, how are they, you know, how are they connected? Yeah, I mean, Michelle's yeah. got some great examples. Yeah, so um, I guess for listeners who may not be as familiar with the um, technology of IoT or the concept of IoT, so IoT is essentially about using a lot of different sensors to sense, measure, collect a lot of physical data around us, you know, data that is really critical for decision making, but also mm. quite often data that is not um, measured and collected in the best way that makes it easy to use, or in some cases they may not be actually measured and collected at all. So, mm. you know, some examples being, for example, location data. So if you were a business owner, you've got a really expensive equipment, uh, uh, you know, you probably want to know immediately if that equipment goes missing so you can do something about it and act on it, right? Temperature of a fridge, you know really simple example but if you're a restaurant you've got food in the fridge if you're a medical practice you might have medicine or vaccine in the fridge again Body you want to know <laughs> even more important to know yes. that you might you might definitely in that case want to know that uh, the temperature drop drops below a certain threshold so again you can go and do something about it mm. and you know we've got customers telling us that by being able to act on something like that is thousands of dollars saved you know just getting to the fridge in time um, another completely different example, but very similar concept, is some of the work that we've been doing with Christchurch City Council and Selwyn District Council recently, installing outdoor fire detection solution at a couple of outdoor reserves. So these sensors can detect early fire signals and send that data back to Fire Emergency New Zealand for coordinating emergency response. Again, data that you want to have immediately so you can act on it. So, you know, simple concept, but you can see that num the number of applications is huge, right, in terms of the kind of in the number of industries and use cases that you can apply that to. And I think that underpins a lot of that 
growth that Renee just mentioned in yeah. terms of why we're seeing such an accelerated growth of adoption. Mm-hmm. And I guess, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us, you know, we spent three years, the last three years, working with a lot of different customers, um, you know, helping them deploy these solutions and seeing some of the benefits that they can immediately get, uh, which talks to, you know, Renee's earlier point around, it's really important for us to work directly with customers and communities to kind of go, hey, what what are some of these problems you're um, having? And, you know, if is there any data or insight that if only you could have at your fingertip, that would make a complete difference in terms of how you operate your business or how you go about protecting people environment. Mm. And I think the really exciting thing is once you can service up some of this data, like there is a lot of people with a lot of creativity and, you know, you know, they could do a lot with this data that we might not even be able to, you know, dream of just yet. Um, like the fire detection mm. um, so, um, solution that I just spoke of. Um, so that comes with a uh, app that you can download. So anyone in the public can download the app where you can see the um, environmental data that mm. is recorded mm. by the yep. sensor. So things like, um, you know, weather condition, um, pollen count. And so, you know, we've had examples of people in our team using that app to plan whether they go to that particular park or not, because if it's on, on a day with high pollen count mm. and you've got bad hay fever, you know, you, you but, might not want to go visit. That, that might impact yeah. your productivity no. the next day. That's right. So, yeah. you know, I think that is the really exciting part in terms of just how much more innovation we can unlock with some of these technologies. And, you know, and I think if we could help more businesses and communities be aware of some of these technologies and show them um, some of the examples and some of the successes and some of the learnings, you know, I think we can get more businesses to adopt some of these um, great solutions. Mm. And mm. there's a big um, environmental flow on as well by doing these things. I recently yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a, a message saying that my water meter at home had been updated and so I've now got a... I guess an IoT water yes, meter. Yes, uh, right. And so I've installed the app from WaterCare. Yes. And so now I'm able to track that daily water usage. And I was talking to somebody about it the other day, yes. and they said, "Oh, that doesn't doesn't really matter, Paul. It's it's not costing you that much in a year." And I said, "Well, it does because it gives that that visibility. Yes. Then you can you can potentially sort of start gamifying it within the that family. Yeah. Of look, you know such what what could example. we do to you know to bring down our water usage? And if mm. you know if people get involved in this, yes, it might not be directly a financial um, thing, but I think it's you know be we, good for we, the planet we, as well. We, though, we right? all want a good outcome, yeah. right? We don't yeah. want to be having to." you know, spending whatever it is, billions of dollars to put in new water systems and, and yeah. so on. So if if we use these these tools and, and technologies. Absolutely. You know, obviously that's just one very, very sort of small use case. But if we use these things well, mm. um, then they can, yeah. you know, they can help us. And once you open yeah. up the data, you know, as you say, it's, Michelle, that, that opens absolutely. up all sorts of possibilities of what we time, might do. it's the real-time nature of it that you can all mm. of a sudden get, whereas, you know, rather than having the meter reader going around once a month and just seeing what your changes, the differences you can make when you know what's going on real-time are, yeah, huge. 
Yeah, so there have been examples with that particular use case where, um, so we did some work supporting WaterCare rolling out um, uh, commercial um, smart water metering for commercial premises. So there are examples where they're able to use some of this data to identify leaks as well. So mm. leaks that might not be visible on the mm. ground. So I think mm. there was an example where uh, one of the schools, you know, WaterCare was able to identify um, a leak because the water usage just completely went up, like very, you know, unusual kind of profile. So they contacted the school and the school brought in a specialist and sure enough, there was a underground leak that they couldn't have seen. So, you know, water is mm. very precious, you know, as a resource. So anything we could do to help kind of us preserve water, you know, is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, so no, that's a, that's another one. Um, so something for yeah for folks to look out for in your different you know areas around the country mm. um, is the smart water meters. In the same way we had our smart power meters, absolutely, are now starting to become the norm. Yeah. Um, but if you you know don't do anything about it, you're not yeah you know, you're not tapping into the data and so on. That's that's available. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure some people will have some you know, all sorts of smart ideas on, on what else can be done with that data. But Absolutely. a good start, you know, install the app if there's if there's one available. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm just curious if either of you had the smart water meter installed at home yet or am I, I one of the lucky ones? I'm, I'm no, jealous. me neither. Not yet. Okay. Oh, that was, that's that's nice. Thank you, Water Care. <laughs> you're special for <laughs> doing that. So. Have you have you changed anything in terms of what you do at home? Um, I yeah, I have been taking a little bit more notice because once I got the data, yeah, and you can't yeah, see even what you know, you so you start having these discussions around. Oh, actually, now now that we can see these results, can we you know make sure that the taps are not left running? <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. on and. Um, um, yeah, there's all sorts of discussions around flushing toilets and so on. That, um, <laughs> Who's we're having probably, the hottest, longest shower? Haven't got to. Yeah, yeah the longest shower is definitely um, yes, as as one of those ones of mm, can you can you gamify that down to yeah the shortest shower? Mm, you know, there's sort of pros so and cons I'm of these curious, things. I'm curious. So right? how often do you actually look at it and check water usage? Uh, I've probably I looked initially when I first got it, and then I probably every couple of weeks yeah. or so since yeah. is just have a have a little bit of a, a look. But, um, yeah, I guess potentially these things could be, and this is where sort of the innovative, you mm. know, thinking comes through is, okay, what do we do with that? Do we sort of, you know, is there a way that you can, you know, I don't know, um, you know, crowd share data, compete against other, other people? Or, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it's just sort of, you know, competing against, yeah. yourself and thinking around well what what can we do to make a difference and yeah. look when you know I, I don't think in a position right now as to where mm. we were you mm. know not so long ago where it was like oh we you know there's not enough water to go around mm. um Auckland potentially and so on as the the you know mm. the reservoirs were were running dry yeah um I mean at that time it would have been you know, it would have been extra helpful yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the the benefits still still exist there for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you could start sort of sharing sharing data in different ways, and I don't know, um, one community versus another, I, you know, I don't know, I don't, know, I don't know do. quite how you would how you would do that. But um, like the yeah, future of Top Town. Yeah. <laughs> you, then show. you then you want the sort of meter within your home, so you can work out, okay, you know, like oh, you know. This this shower at this time and things <laughs> yeah. like that. So yeah. uh, it doesn't quite go down to the down to that granularity. I think it's maybe every 
30, 30 minutes or right. yep. or right. something that it. Um, I just yeah. think yeah. it's so yeah. fascinating in terms of what you can do once a lot of this data become available and mm. shared more widely with mm. public. You know, mm. like, and I think the only way to, I guess, um, influence behaviour change is by somehow using this data to really engage people. Like it has mm. to mean something to them. Like they have yeah. to understand what this means. You know, hey, you know. Maybe I should take shorter showers. Maybe someone in the house should take shorter showers, or you know, maybe maybe there's a leak in my house because that looks very strange. Mm. Yeah, um, mm. yeah. It's a. I think that's a really important point. A lot of the stuff that we're doing at the moment is surfacing the data, but you get the value when you take action from yeah. the data, mm. and so that's mm. really where we see the next evolution of this going: is how do we take actions? Yeah. And I guess you know we do have to think about data privacy and mm-hmm. you yes. know, some of these yes. other aspects. I think you know, probably most Kiwis wouldn't be super comfortable if next minute we've got sort of some sort of social scoring system and it's like, <laughs> like your shower was too long, so sorry, you got to walk to work today. You're not allowed on the bus or something, right? It's uh, yeah. No. So we we have to yeah we have to have to you know keep keep a bit of. Um, yeah, a bit of balance around uh, yeah, you know how, how the data yeah, moves around and, and what it gets used for, right? Goes hand in hand <laughs> with you know strict sort of data privacy policies and processes that um, we all need to you know adhere to. Yeah, and I think what is good is seeing the data being shared for public good for things like yeah. in the forests, where actually if we're capturing data about weather conditions that's in a public area, yeah. then why not make that available to the public? Because there's there's more good that you can get out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And and yeah, I guess that's yeah, that's where yeah, it will vary as to what should what should yeah. happen with the data. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's good. Um Anything else that we should delve into, IoT or or, or otherwise? Because there's there's a it's a lot going on I with mean, this. But actually, you must you must answer the question. Um, satellites. What's what's happening with satellites? Satellites. Um, because this, yeah, we've, we've had a few announcements. Um, yep. Apple. Yep, well, the, probably the everybody Apple. except for well, we there's not been oh, silence on. from Spark because <laughs> I think there's been an indication that you know that something's mm. happening in terms of uh, you know satellite to to mobile. Um, yep. Where do you see that sort of you know playing out over you know over the next couple of years or so? Um, we see satellite as playing a key role for New Zealand's communications infrastructure going forward. Certainly. I think we see opportunities in quite a few different spaces where we can use satellite. We work with satellite companies um, already today in supporting some of their ground operations in New Zealand. Um, We are looking into solutions where we might use satellite for um, business, um, have a business offering that would leverage satellite to provide connectivity in the instance where their primary services go down. Yep, so as a yep. backup service and from a resiliency perspective. And actually um, going back to Cyclone Gabriel, we deployed a, a number of units that leverage satellite backhaul um, connected to a small cell to provide emergency coverage. And so we've still got those in our back pocket for those sorts of situations. And I did, think that work, did that work pretty well, being able to you know tag a tag a, a cell site or at least a small cell, you know, onto Starlink or, or what have you to, um, you know, to get connectivity back up and I running? I think it got a base level of connectivity to some specific areas, mm-hmm. but, but mm. I mean, that effort was a, 
was a whole picture of which that was just one little piece. Mm, I think mm. the satellite backhaul for businesses will be a great option for things um, like to keep ATM ATMs running and that kind of thing. Um, that was definitely one of the pain points that came through. Um, I think the one that everybody is interested in is the direct-to-sell technology. And so obviously Apple's come out with their latest devices that have got full detection that will talk to satellites directly um, we are certainly looking into that space and seeing it playing a key role, particularly in rural parts of New Zealand. It would be a great offering to have coverage 100% across New Zealand. Um, and so we hope to be announcing something soon uh, around what we're looking at in that space. Oh, you don't have all the details to spill right now? I don't have all the details to spill right now. Oh, okay. No, okay. That's but right. it is That's definitely right. something we see playing a key role in future. Yeah. Oh, that's that's exciting. I th- yeah, I think um, it's interesting, right? That we've we've got a, we've only really been talking about this stuff since you know, well, not too not too far back. I can't remember when mm. you know the first bits and pieces you know came through. But um, yeah, it was it was probably the T-Mobile and yeah. and and Starlink deal last year that kind of you know really made the most cap- noise. Capt- yeah, captured yeah. a lot of a- a- attention. Um, because these things have been, you know, under development for for some time, um, but it seems like things have moved very very quickly from from that point. It's like a you know a real tipping point it's a, where it's, it's a gone really from interesting space. I mean, it's still really early in the technology. There's a couple of um, cases where people have got text messaging service working. There was a recent news announcement about a voice call that was being made. There are a number of players in this space. Mm, mm. Um, and so making sure that we're uh, working with the right technology will be key as we move through the next couple of years. Yeah, it's, um, I, I guess, something that, that's really been enabled by you know, a number of aspects, but um, you know, the cost to put up low-Earth orbit satellites, yeah. which, which you know, if you're doing that, then it's not just putting one satellite up to you know cover a really large area of the planet. It's putting up a, a lot of satellites, and yeah, it's a it's which a, you know, in and of itself is is worrying. <laughs> yeah, there, there's you know there's there's aspects of of that that are yeah that are that are that are a concern, um, but certainly it's it's where we're going, isn't it? Yeah. So um, we want to take advantage of of those things. Yeah, and, and I yeah. think New Zealand is well, pretty well suited to it. We're mm. an island that's relatively far away from anywhere else, which mm. means we don't have any border <laughs> issues, um, and we've got some terrain that would be really well suited to it as well. Yeah, I, I noticed uh, over 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 summer while it was raining in Auckland, and I was uh, in the South Island. Um, going through areas like the Catlins where and, it wasn't and raining? so on, where well, <laughs> a lot of the most of the time it wasn't. It was it yeah. was uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, there were these pockets as as there has been for a long time, but there were pockets where it's like, oh, I'm out of coverage, and it wasn't necessarily just for you know one or two minutes. Times quite long long periods of of time, you know, where you we certainly wouldn't have sort of consistent uh, coverage, and you know, it it totally makes sense because the cost to put a cell site in the middle of nowhere. Where you know virtually nobody is based, and it's just you know it's just a place mostly mm. where yeah, people are passing through. Um, yeah, that that's pretty challenging. So you know, I think the the opportunity to get to that sort of hun- you know in theory a hundred percent coverage. I'm not I'm not yeah, quite sure that that it's ever kind of a hundred percent because there are places that are going to be you know blocked by trees and hills and yep. you know um yeah, and, absolutely. And, and so on um you know there's caves mm. 
Um, but uh, yeah, to to you know to a position you know where we have that that um, that next level of of coverage uh, is yeah it's pretty pretty exciting I think uh, especially for those that like to go on crazy adventures and crazy places yeah, and uh, which is New Zealand's known for right from a health and safety perspective just having that level of comfort mm. yeah yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, um, oh, the 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 last thing was the three point five gigahertz spectrum that we talked about. Yes. Um, uh, well, you know that was announced, you know, recently. That has been, um, you know, kind of dished out and and some funds and so on um, mm. from a government perspective. Maybe you can, you know, talk to talk to the the role that you see that, um, you know, that playing in terms of the next the next phase of things with five G. Yeah. And um, how that fits together for for Spark and. Um, I guess the um, the rural connectivity group, which you're part of. Yeah, I think um, that we would we were really excited once we were able to put that announcement out. It's been a conversation point for quite a long time, um, and we've all been operating on temporary short-term spectrum. So it was fantastic just to get the level of certainty that we would know exactly how much spectrum we would have and for how long. Uh, and help support, I suppose, over and above the money that we've committed to invest as part of the spectrum, but actually give us the certainty to be able to roll out 5G across Aotearoa. I think the great thing about the way the allocation worked was the direct allocation method being focused around how we made sure that we would get 5G coverage and this enabling technology into other parts of New Zealand rather than just it being focused on the urban centres. And so the mix of investment into the Rural Connectivity Group to increase the work they're doing around mobile black spots, et cetera, um, aligned with investment into network infrastructure in small towns across Aotearoa um, was just a really nice mix. I see some quite big uh, well, I hope this will bring some good advantages, particularly into provincial New Zealand and helping them to get access to some of these new technologies that we've been talking about. Um, and, you know, we see a lot of opportunity in the agriculture space um, in more rural New Zealand and taking advantage of these new technologies. And you need C-band 5G to be able to do that. Mm. So this will really help to up the service availability across Aotearoa. So I think it was a great outcome overall. Yep. We've got um, yeah probably a, a, a range of areas around the country where folks have chosen maybe to put satellite, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Starlink type connections to get uh, connectivity. Um, where maybe in the past they they yeah they'd used other other sort of locally available options, and I you know I guess from my sort of selfish being a Kiwi perspective. Um, you know, I would I would prefer that we all had a you know a local option from a local mm. um, telco that that's competitive. Um, does this um, is this going to help from that perspective? Where you know there's going to be um, you know better better options for folks that are in rural locations and and maybe don't need to lean towards the satellite options as much as some have? So it will in some cases. There'll mm. always be um, different addressable parts of, of New Zealand that we won't quite get to. But I think yeah. what this does and what the funding that the government's put into Crown Infrastructure Partners that we're helping or working with to do a whole lot of rural capacity upgrades. So those two programs together are just going to make 
particularly wireless broadband, a real option for lots of New Zealanders. And I think the C-band spectrum offering, particularly because C-band is able to deliver much higher speeds than our regular uh, 4G service, that's where we'll start getting that just greater quality and more fibre-like type um, experiences through wireless. Yep. And and more sort of capacity for more, yes, more customers, absolutely. right? Because you get that scenario where you're in a particular area and, you know, you you, sold out. you, you contact <laughs> the Spark or, you know, um, one of the others and, um, yeah, it's effectively, sorry, we've got, you know, Enough, maxed out. Uh, enough yeah. in this area. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, a big part of our three-year strategy as Spark is looking at how we can reduce the number of our sites that are sort of sold out, mm, um, mm. and that's through introducing more 4G capacity, but then overlaying the 5G on top and making sure that we, you know, from a customer's perspective, they don't necessarily care how they're connected. Mm. So it's about helping customers to get on the right technology that gives them the best experience. And so we've got a big focus from a technology perspective around how we build that infrastructure through both our funding and funding from government. And then how do we help work with customers to understand what's the best technology for them to be on and just make it as easy as possible mm. um, to get on the right tech. Is it is there somewhere where folks can go to find out what's coming to the area and they can get a little bit of a handle so they're able to, you know, to plan ahead, whether it's to be at the front of the queue or, or what have you, just to get a, a you know, that understanding of, of what upgrades may be coming? Uh, we don't publicise what upgrades are coming at the moment, but generally we communicate that through our channels. So our mm, Spark mm. stores um, and the business hubs will have line of sight to what's coming in in the region. So we don't okay. have it publicly on the website, but we do share that with our teams internally. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both for joining the, the show today. That's uh, that's really appreciated. Thanks yeah, thank for, having you for having us. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening in to the New Zealand Tech Podcast again this week. Uh, and a big thank you to our show partners, uh, Gorilla Technology, HP, uh, Spark NZ, Two Degrees, and One NZ. All right, we'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.